0: SECTION 3 OF ESSAYS, BOOK ONE. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Essays, BOOK ONE, by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. CHAPTER three: THAT OUR AFFECTIONS CARRY THEMSELVES BEYOND US such as accuse mankind of the folly of gaping after future things and advise us to make our benefit of those which are present and to set up our rest upon them as having no grasp upon that which is to come even less than that which we have upon what is past have hit upon the most universal of human errors if that may be called an error to which nature herself has disposed us in order to the continuation of her own work prepossessing us among several others with this deceiving imagination as being more jealous of our action than afraid of our knowledge we are never present with but always beyond ourselves fear desire hope still push us on towards the future depriving us in the meantime of the sense and consideration of that which is to amuse us with the thought of what shall be even when we shall be no more rousseau emile livre two calamitosis est animus futuri auxius the mind anxious about the future is unhappy seneca Epistole, ninety eight we find this great precept often repeated in plato do thine own work and know thyself of which two parts both the one and the other generally comprehend our whole duty and do each of them in like manner involve the other. For who will do his own work aright will find that his first lesson is to know what he is, and that which is proper to himself, and who rightly understands himself will never mistake another man's work for his own, but will love and improve himself above all other things, will refuse superfluous employments, and reject all unprofitable thoughts and propositions. As folly, on the one side, though it should enjoy at all desire, would notwithstanding never be content, so on the other, wisdom, acquiescent in the present, is never dissatisfied with itself. Cicero, Tusculan Disputations, fifty seven, v. eighteen. Epicurus dispenses his sages from all foresight and care of the future. Among those laws that relate to the dead, I look upon that to be very sound by which the actions of princes are to be examined after their decease. Doubtless, Cic. I. 6. They are equals with, if not masters of, the laws, and therefore what justice could not inflict upon their persons, tis but reason should be executed upon their reputations, and the estates of their successors, things that we often value above life itself. Tis a custom of singular advantage to those countries where it is in use, and by all good princes to be desired, who have reason to take it ill, that the memories of the wicked should be used with the same reverence and respect with their own. We owe subjection and obedience to all our kings, whether good or bad, alike, for that has respect unto their office, but as to esteem and affection, these are only due to their virtue. Let us grant to political government to endure them with patience however unworthy to conceal their vices and to assist them with our recommendation in their indifferent actions whilst their authority stands in need of our support but the relation of prince and subject being once at an end there is no reason we should deny the expression of our real opinions to our own liberty and common justice and especially to interdict to good subjects the glory of having reverently and faithfully served a prince whose imperfections were to them so well known. This were to deprive posterity of a useful example, and such as, out of respect to some private obligation, unjustly espouse and vindicate the memory of a faulty prince, do private right at the expense of public justice. Livy does very truly say, 35.48, that the language of men bred up in courts is always full of vain ostentation and false testimony every one indifferently magnifying his own master, and stretching his commendation to the utmost extent of virtue and sovereign grandeur. Some may condemn the freedom of those two soldiers who so roundly answered Nero to his beard, the one being asked by him why he bore him ill will. I love thee, answered he, whilst thou wert worthy of it, but since thou art become a parasite, an incendiary, a player, and a coachman, I hate thee as thou dost deserve and the other why should he attempt to kill him because said he i could think of no other remedy against thy perpetual mischiefs tacitus annals fifteen sixty seven but the public and universal testimonies that were given of him after his death and so will be to all posterity both of him and all other wicked princes like him of his tyrannies and abominable deportment who of a sound judgment can reprove them I am scandalized that in so sacred a government as that of the Lacedaemonians, there should be mixed so hypocritical a ceremony at the interment of their kings, where all their confederates and neighbors, and all sorts and degrees of men and women, as well as their slaves, cut and slashed their foreheads in token of sorrow, repeating in their cries and lamentation that that king, let him have been as wicked as the devil, was the best that ever they had herodotus 668 by this means attributing to his quality the praise that only belongs to merit and that of right is due to supreme desert though lodged in the lowest and most inferior subject aristotle who will still have a hand in everything makes a query upon the saying of solon that none can be said to be happy until he is dead whether then he who has lived and died according to his heart's desire if he have left an ill repute behind him, and that his posterity be miserable, can be said to be happy. Whilst we have life in motion, we convey ourselves by fancy and preoccupation, whether and to what we please, but once out of being we have no more any manner of communication with that which is, and it had therefore been better said by Solon that man is never happy, because never so till he is no more vix radicidatius evite se tolit et sed facit esse sui quidam super <speaking> incisus ipse <the> nec removet satis a projecto corpori <world> sese et vindicat scarcely one man can even in dying wholly detach himself from the idea of life in his ignorance he must needs imagine that there is in him something that survives him and cannot sufficiently separate or emancipate himself from his remains lucretius three eight ninety bertrand de guesclin dying at the siege of the castle of rancon near antipouille in auvergne the besieged were afterwards upon surrender enjoined to lay down the keys of the place upon the corpse of the dead general bartolomeo dalviano the venetian general Happening to die in the service of the Republic in Brescia, and his corpse being to be carried through the territory of Verona, an enemy's country, most of the army were inclined to demand safe contact from the Veronese, but Theodoro Trivulzio opposed the motion, rather choosing to make his way by force of arms, and to run the hazard of a battle, saying it was by no means fit that he who in his life was never afraid of his enemies should seem to apprehend them when he was dead in truth in affairs of the same nature by the greek laws he who made suit to an enemy for a body to give it burial renounced his victory and had no more right to erect a trophy and he to whom such suit was made was reputed victor by this means it was that nicias lost the advantage he had visibly obtained over the corinthians and that agassilios on the contrary assured that which he had before very doubtfully gained over the Boeotians. Plutarch, Life of Nicias, C. to Life of Agesileus, C. 6. These things might appear strange, had it not been a general practice in all ages, not only to extend the concern of ourselves beyond this life, but moreover to fancy that the favor of heaven does not only very often accompany us to the grave, but has also, even after life, a concern for our ashes, of which There are so many ancient examples, to say nothing of those of our own observation, that it is not necessary I should longer insist upon it. Edward I, King of England, having in the long wars betwixt him and Robert, King of Scotland, had experience of how great importance his own immediate presence was to the success of his affairs, having ever been victorious in whatever he undertook in his own person. When he came to die, bound his son in a solemn oath that, so soon as he should be dead, he should... Boil his body till the flesh parted from the bones, and bury the flesh, reserving the bones to carry continually with him in his army, so often as he should be obliged to go against the Scots, as if destiny had inevitably attached victory, even to his remains. John Ziska, the same who, to vindication of Wycliffe's heresies, troubled the Bohemian state, left order that they should flay him after his death, and of his skin make a drum to carry in the war against his enemies fancying it would contribute to the continuation of the successes he had always obtained in the wars against them. In like manner certain of the Indians, in their battles with the Spaniards, carried with them the bones of one of their captains, in consideration of the victories they had formerly obtained under his conduct. And the other people of the same new world carry about with them, in their wars, the relics of valiant men who have died in battle, to incite their courage and advance their fortune, of which examples the first reserve nothing for the tomb but the reputation they have acquired by their former achievements, but these attribute to them a certain present and active power. The proceeding of Captain Bayard is of a better composition, who, finding himself wounded to death with a harquebus shot, and being importuned to retire out of the fight, made answer that he would not begin at the last gasp to turn his back to the enemy, and accordingly still fought on, till feeling himself too faint, and no longer able to sit on his horse, he commanded his steward to set him down at the foot of a tree, but so that he might die with his face toward the enemy, which he did. I must yet add another example, equally remarkable for the present consideration with any of the former. The Emperor Maximilian, great-grandfather to the now King Philip, Philip II of Spain, was a prince endowed throughout with great and extraordinary qualities. And among the rest with a singular beauty of person, but had withal a humor very contrary to that of other princes, who for the despatch of their most important affairs convert their close stool into a chair of state, which was that he sh- would never permit any of his bedchamber, how familiar soever, to see him in that posture, and would steal aside to make water as religiously as a virgin shy to discover to his physician or any other whomsoever those parts that we are accustomed to conceal i myself who have so impudent a way of talking am nevertheless naturally so modest this way that unless at the importunity of necessity or pleasure i scarcely ever communicate to the sight of either of those parts or actions that custom orders us to conceal wherein i suffer more constraint than i conceive is very well becoming a man especially of my profession but he nourished this modest humour to such a degree of superstition, as to give express orders in his last will that they should put him on drawers as soon as he should be dead, to which, methinks, he would have done well to have added that he should be blindfolded too. that put them on. The charge that Cyrus left with his children, that neither they, nor any other, should either see or touch his body after the soul was departed from it, Xenophon, Cyropedia, 8, 7, I attribute to some superstitious devotion of his for both his historian and himself amongst their great qualities marked the whole course of their lives with a singular respect and reverence to religion i was by no means pleased with the story told me by a man of very great quality of a relation of mine and one who had given a very good account of himself both in peace and war that coming to die in a very old age of excessive pain of the stone he spent the last hours of his life in an extraordinary solicitude about ordering the honour and ceremony of his funeral, pressing all the men of condition who came to see him to engage their word to attend him to his grave, importuning this very prince who came to visit him at his last gasp, with a most earnest supplication that he would order his family to be there, and presenting before him several reasons and examples to prove that it was a respect due to a man of his condition, and seemed to die content having obtained this promise and appointed the method in order of his funeral parade i have seldom heard of so persistent a vanity another though contrary curiosity of which singularity also i do not want domestic example seems to be somewhat akin to this that a man shall cudgel his brains at the last moments of his life to contrive his obsequies to so particular and unusual a parsimony as of one servant with a lantern I see this humor commended, and the appointment of Marcus Aemilius Lipidus, who forbade his heirs to bestow upon his hearse even the common ceremonies in use upon such occasions. Is it yet temperance and frugality to avoid expense and pleasure of which the use and knowledge are imperceptible to us? See here an easy and cheap reformation. If instruction were at all necessary in this case, I should be of opinion that in this, as in all other actions of life, each person should regulate the matter according to his fortune, and the philosopher Lycan prudently ordered his friends to dispose of his body where they should think most fit, and as to his funeral to order it neither too superfluous nor too mean. For my part I should wholly refer the ordering of this ceremony to custom, and shall, when the time comes, accordingly leave it to their discretion to whose lot it shall fall to do me that last office totus hic locus es contemptendus in nobis non negligendus in nostris the place of our sepulchre is to be contemned by us but not to be neglected by our friends cicero tusculan i 45 and it was a holy saying of a saint curatio funeris conditio sepultura pompa equisiorum magisunt vivorum saltatia quam subsidia mortuorum the care of death the place of sepulchre the pomps of obsequies are rather consolations to the living than succours to the dead augustine de Day de one twelve which made socrates answer Crito, who at death asked him how he would be buried how you will said he if i were to concern myself beyond the present about this affair i should be most tempted as the greatest satisfaction of this kind to imitate those who in their lifetime entertain themselves with the ceremony and honors of their own obsequies beforehand, and are pleased with beholding their own dead countenance in marble. Happy are they who can gratify their senses by insensibility, and live by their death. I am ready to conceive an implacable hatred against all popular domination, though I think it the most natural and equitable of all, so oft as I call to mind the inhuman injustice of the people of Athens, who, without remission, or once vouchsafing to hear what they had to say for themselves, put to death their brave captains, newly returned triumphant from a naval victory they had obtained over the Lacedaemonians, near the Argusonian Isles, the most bloody and obstinate engagement that ever the Greeks fought at sea, because, after the victory, they followed up the blow and pursued the advantages presented to them by the rule of war, rather than stay to gather up and bury their dead. And the execution is yet rendered more odious by the behaviour of Diomedion, who being one of the condemned and a man of most eminent virtue political and military, after having heard the sentence advancing to speak, no audience till then having been allowed, instead of laying before them his own cause or the impiety of so cruel a sentence, only expressed solicitude for his judges' preservation, beseeching the gods to convert this sentence to their good and praying that, for neglecting to fulfil the vows which he and his companions had made, with which he also acquainted them, in acknowledgment of so glorious a success, they might not draw down the indignation of the gods upon them, and so, without more words, went courageously to his death. Fortune, a few years after, punished them in the same kind, for Chabrius, captain-general of their naval forces, having got the better of Polus, admiral of Sparta, at the Isle of Naxos, totally lost the fruits of his victory, one of very great importance to their affairs, in order not to incur the danger of this example, and so that he should not lose a few bodies of his dead friends that were floating in the sea, gave opportunity to a world of living enemies to sail away in safety, who afterwards made them pay dear for this unseasonable superstition. Curris quo jesies post lopitum loco, quo no nata adjacent dost ask where thou shalt lie after death? Where things not born lie, that never having had. Seneca, Coral two thirty. This other restores the sense of, a, of repose to a body without a soul. Nece sepulchrum quo recipitatur habet portum corporis ubi remissa human vita corpus requisit a Nor let him have a sepulchre wherein he may be received. A haven for his body, where, life being gone, that body may rest from its woes. Aeneas ap Cicero, Tusculan, one forty four. As nature demonstrates to us that several dead things retain yet an occult relation to life, wine changes its flavour and complexion in cellars, according to the changes and seasons of the vine from whence it came, and the flesh of venison alters its condition. In the powdering tub, and its taste according to the laws of the living flesh of its kind, as it is said. End of section three.